Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. your Bible this morning? Mm, gee, that's, that was a little disappointing, wasn't it? Hey, open your Bible and let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 21. How many came ready to receive a word from God? That's better. We're warming up. The espresso's kicking in. That free chapel coffee you got downstairs in the cafe is just starting to kick in. I want to read this story and uh, I'm going to share, share, uh, share a thought that I believe God showed me this week that, that hopefully will encourage us. And uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 10. It says this, Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish. Say Achish. Not a kiss, Achish. The king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they, did they not sing of him to one another? In dances, saying Saul has slain his thousands and David his... Tens of thousands. Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish and the king, Achish the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched at the doors of the gate and let his saliva fall down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? In the rest of the story, David leaves there and goes to, you know, what we know in the story is the cave of Adullam where the story continues there. But this is such a, it's a funny story this. It's one of those stories that you look at and uh, it's interesting, I think, for us because this is King David. This is a little embarrassing, isn't it? This is King David. This is the warrior. This is David, the fighter. This is the giant slayer. This is the rock slinger. This, I mean, this is King David. And this story, David has faced so much opposition up until this point. David has come, to backtrack for you a little bit, David has come off the battlefield after slaying Goliath. And we know the story because of that victory, David experiences great favour with the king, Saul, and also Saul's son, Jonathan. So David is experiencing so much favour in this moment and David gets a position in, in the palace or the house of Saul. Remember Saul was a bit loopy at times and he would go crazy and he would get David to come and play the harp because he liked David beats. He, th- he thought David did good and so he got, got David to, to play the harp. But then every now and then Saul would just lose it. Saul was quite insecure and he was quite fearful. And every now and then when, when, when David started to experience 
so much favour, people started to look at David and celebrate David and Saul would freak out. And, and, and one, one time Saul freaked out so much, he got his spear and said, I'm going to pin this dude to the wall. And, and he, he's hunting down to, to kill David. You thought your boss was bad. Imagine sitting under this dude. And, and he goes through these, this series of, of events where David's continuing to continually trying to do the right thing. In fact, if you look at this story prior to this story, I'm sorry, and you read these chapters, you'll see this common phrase in regard to David where it continually says that David continued to behave wisely. It says it in chapter 18 and verse 5 and it says it further in verse 14 and then again in verse 30 where Saul kept doing these crazy things. But it says, and David continued to behave wisely. I want to tell you this power in wisdom. Do you know that? We don't talk about wisdom like it's a very powerful tool in the kingdom of God. We think wisdom just means making a good decision, but it's deeper than that. If Solomon had the opportunity to ask God for anything and he chose to ask for the ability, the Bible says to choose between right and wrong, the ability to have wisdom, it shows us that wisdom is actually powerful. That maybe what you're going through in your life and maybe what you're walking through isn't about you praying, God, give me more power. Maybe it's saying, God, give me more wisdom. Business people, one of the most, one of the most powerful weapons you can have in the workplace is the weapon of wisdom. Knowing what to say and when to say it. Knowing how to deal with situations. Knowing how to respond the right way. It separates. Wisdom will separate you from a fear reaction to a faith response. Wisdom can be that voice of God that says, you know what? Do what Proverbs says. Be slow to speak and quick to listen in this moment. Don't be so quick to make a decision right now. Sometimes it'll be wisdom that'll cause you to just stop for a minute and just make a right decision in this moment. And this was one of the things that kept protecting David was this, was this wisdom. But what happens in this story, and this is where it's hard because when I was reading it, I started to feel for David a little bit. Because David is going through all of these situations and all of these troubling scenarios where he's experiencing so much of the favour of God that God has positioned him there in the palace. But this dude, Saul, keeps doing these crazy things that would cause anybody to question, did God really put me here? The situation that, that looked like it was such a great opportunity. I mean, you go from, from minding the sheep out in the field. You just smoke Goliath. Now you're in the palace. Bro, you would think the rest of your life is going to be a breeze. You would think you've made it. But if you look at David's story, you'll see, you know what? David, it keeps doing the right thing. But the right thing for David keeps seems like it continually just turns bad. And then we find David now, he has exhausted every option. His family, his friends, his boss, his covering. He's got no other options. And look, we know how broken David is because of where he turns. 
Because if you look at this story that we just read about, David now has gone to Achish, the king of Gath. Remember where Goliath was from? Goliath was from Gath. This is a bizarre story. That's when you know, that's how we know how broken and desperate David is. Because now David has turned to his enemies. Because when you've continually tried to do what's right, and things don't seem to work out, wrong can seem quite appealing, can it not? When you continue, you ever been in that position where you keep, you seem to be just continually doing the right thing, but it doesn't seem to work out? This is David. And so David finds himself at the gate of his enemies, facing where he had a prior victory before in the past, David now has turned back and gone back to a past challenge. Remember Goliath, David and Goliath. See, this, is, this paints a picture, I think, of a, a very difficult time that we can often find in our own life. Because David right now, is in, he's in the in-between. Because he's left his past, but he hasn't yet stepped into the fullness of his future yet. He's left his past, but he hasn't yet experienced the fullness of his purpose. So he's caught in that in between saying, God, I know where you've called me from, but I still haven't completely grabbed a hold of what you've called me to. And right now I'm facing some challenges from the enemy and I'm trying to do the right thing, but it's not working out. And when you try and do right and it doesn't work, wrong can seem appealing. This, this, this church is a very powerful lesson for us to learn. It's what it is to guard the in-between times. It's what it is when you know you've left that life of sin and you've left that life of brokenness and hurt and despair. And now you believe that God has something great for you, but you're not quite walking in the fullness of it just yet. And you're just in the in-between. You need to guard the in-between times. This was where the Israelites were. Remember the story, the Israelites came out of Egypt, but they weren't yet in the promised land. And the Bible says when they faced some challenges and some trials, it says they started talking amongst each other, saying we should go back to Egypt. That's where we have to be careful, church. That's where we have to simply remind ourselves of the promises of God, where we may not yet be walking in them fully, but we're taking them by faith every single step of the way. And we know that we've gone too far to turn back, but we've got to just keep walking and keep believing that God is going to come through. It's, it's the in-between. It's the, it's, it's the middle. It's the middle ground, that, that middle place where you've, started a business and you're doing things right by God, but you haven't yet experienced the fullness of the blessing yet. It's that, it's that in between. 
where you stop dating morons and stop dating idiots and, and you believe that God has the right one for you, but now you're single and you're trying to hang on to what you believe is right and all your friends are dating anything with two legs and a heartbeat and you're trying to just do what's right by God and you're caught on the in-between and you're starting to wonder, am I gonna be like this forever? Listen, you gotta keep the promises of God in front of you and just keep doing what God has told you to do and God will be true and you will see your purpose. You're just caught in the in the in-between right now. But it was in the in-between that David, David turns, he turns back. We see how desperate this dude was. I, I don't know what David was thinking. I don't know whether he planned this or not. I dare say he didn't. They say that maybe David was thinking because Saul was out to kill him, maybe the Philistines will take him in. Maybe the Philistines will befriend him, bring him close. Maybe he'll find some comfort, even though they were his enemies. Maybe he'll find some comfort there, some protection there. So David fronts up to them and he's like, hey, what's up? It's David. I know I killed Goliath, but let's like forget that. Let's be friends. Forget about the fact that if you know the story, David at this point, he's carrying Goliath's sword. Bit of a giveaway, you know. So David rolls up. And he's like, hey, what's up? David here. As soon as they see him, they're like, hey, we know you. You're the one that they sing about. You're the one that, that, you're the warrior. You're the fighter. You're the one that killed Goliath. We know who you are. And then David's caught. Like busted, hardcore. You know when you get busted? Remember as a kid where you got busted and you got nothing that you can say in your defence? You're like, David, David's caught, but I love what he does. They're like, hey, hey, we know you, we know what's going on. So you know what he does? He's like, uh, and starts to pretend like he's, you read the story, we read it. He starts to pretend like he's mentally insane. I mean, right now, dude, he's desperate. He He starts scratching at the doors. You ever, you ever get caught? in a situation and you don't know what to do. So you just do something real crazy. You ever been, I've done this many times before when I've been on like a serious phone call and I don't do it anymore because it's not good. But when I'm in like a serious phone call and I don't want to deal with it. And so mid-sentence, I just hang up. (laughs) And then think about it some more and work out an answer to what they're asking you and then ring the back in two hours later and be like, hey, I was just going through a bad area. (laughs) Try it, try it, it's powerful. Because the key, listen, the key, this is the key to it, right? So you don't get busted. You've got to hang up while you're talking. And just before you hang up, you've got to make it sound like you're about to say something really important. Hey, yeah, I know. Listen, man, I need to tell you, I can't click. (laughs) And then leave your phone off for two hours. They will presume that you've just gone through a bad area. Next time the debt collector rings, hey, listen, I know I'm going to (laughs) click. David, don't do that. Hey, (laughs) David is caught. He doesn't know what to do. 
So he just starts acting like he's mentally insane. He starts acting like, like we would say in Australia, like all his dogs are not barking. He starts acting like the elevator doesn't go all the way to the top floor. He's, he, he starts acting bonkers. And then they take this, this crazy man that they, 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 they think is David, but now he's acting crazy. And they take him to the king. And the king, I love it because the story turns and the king gets mad at his servants. He's like, would you bring me this dude for? I can see David looking at them being like, hey, got you. Then David gets released. And David walks out of this situation. And it's actually a phenomenal story. And the reason why it's actually powerful for us today and so applicable to our lives today is because I think what this does is this gives us a glimpse into the humanity of David for a moment. I don't know about you, but for me, it's not always the stories in Scripture of the great victories that give me the strength to keep going. Sometimes it's the stories in Scripture of the biggest defeats and the lowest moments that stir my faith to think if God can use someone like that, that would do something like this. If God could use a situation like this and still get glory out of it, then maybe He could do something with me. This is David. This is the giant slayer dude ran out onto a battlefield with a rock in his hand as a kid. And now here he is acting like a crazy man because he doesn't know what to do. It's bizarre to me that this is the same man. I read as I was reading this story, I backtracked a bit and I read the story of David and Goliath. And I was looking for a phrase or a moment in that story when David experienced some fear, but I didn't find it. Isn't it bizarre that we read a story about David running out as a child, he was a kid, running out onto a battlefield against a giant with a rock in his hand, and he's not scared. But later on, as a grown man, now he's facing his enemies, the same enemies again, his life's at threat again. But this time, the Bible says that he experienced fear. As I talked earlier, as you read the story of David, prior to this story, you see repeated time and time again that David behaved wisely. But here in this story, it says this in verse 13, after David was very, in verse 12, he was very much afraid. And then it says this, so he changed his behaviour. Isn't it interesting what fear will cause us to do sometimes? And we're so quick to judge David in this moment for acting crazy, doing something that's not himself, when how many of us at times we do the exact same thing where we may not be acting a fool and, and getting all crazy and scratching at the door, but we change who we are and do something that's not us, just trying to appease people around us, just trying to be accepted by those around us. We are pretending like we're something we're not because we're so desperate to try and get validation from people around us. And we're so quick to attack David where I think we do it every single day. 
David is caught. And because of fear, the fear caused him to change his behaviour. Whenever fear motivates your actions, it will always produce dysfunction. We parent fueled by fear. We lead people fueled by fear. We're so afraid that we're gonna lose control. We're so afraid that we're not gonna have enough to pull it together. We're so afraid that we're not gonna be accepted. And then we wonder why there's so much dysfunction in our lives. Some of you cannot connect with your current spouse because of a past divorce. And you're so fearful that that's gonna happen again. That is preventing you from being able to connect as a couple now. And there's dysfunction in the marriage now. And it's there because you're operating in fear. Fear can change our behaviour. And that's what happened in this story. David's at this this place of absolute brokenness. We don't preach much about this story because to be honest, this one's hard to preach. This was not, this wouldn't be my like ideal message to preach. I'd rather pick something, I'd rather preach David and Goliath than David the crazy man. Come on, this isn't pretty. The dude's scratching at the wall. This warrior, this guy that we looked up up to in Scripture, he's got this foaming at the mouth, pretending just to try and get out of a situation. This one's not easy to preach. But let me show you something that I think is so powerful for us. Because while we can look at this at one of David's darkest moments, I wanna show you some of David's most powerful work came out of some of his darkest moments. Turn quickly to Psalm 34 and verse four. It's gonna come up on the screen and I wanna read it to you. How does this relate to the story we were just reading about? Because if you know something of Scripture, you will know that David wrote Psalm 34, the second after this story happened. And the reason why we share, I shared this story in 1 Samuel first was I wanted to put Psalm 34 into context. Because sometimes we look over these words in Psalms and we think, well, that's pretty, that's nice, thanks, David. But we forget the context of where he is coming from. And I want you to see Psalm 34 through the eyes of a man that's still wiping his face from saliva dripping down his beard after he just acted like a crazy person and his whole world is falling around him and he doesn't know what the future looks like and he's starting to doubt himself and now he's bound and caught and he's hiding in the cave of Adullam and David pulls a pen out of paper and starts to write this. And David says, I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. When I read that, I saw that from the context of the story that we just read. And I want you to picture right now, David now is in the cave of Adullam and he's by himself and he just acted a crazy man to try and escape his enemies. And he pulls out a pen and he writes this down. He says, I saw the Lord and he heard me. When I read that, it sounded to me like almost like David was surprised. You ever come out of something that's so bad that you say something like that and you're almost surprised? You're like, oh my gosh, this worked. Oh my gosh, God, man, you are real. Oh my gosh, you ever come out of something that you prayed through 
and you and everyone else is in faith and they're like praising and you're praising, but inside you're a little bit surprised and you're like, dear Lord Jesus, this is real, prayer works. You ever come out and you walk through something and you didn't know how you were gonna get through it and you declared Scripture each and every day even when you didn't feel like it and somehow it turned around and you left standing there stunned looking at God saying, wow, look at that, you're pretty good. This is David. Verse four, I saw the Lord. I saw David saying this like he's still puffing after running from his enemies. David's like, man, I, wow, gee, look at that. I saw the Lord and... Flipping heck, we got through this. We made it. You ever looked at your spouse before and say, hey, we got through this. How do we make this? Maybe God is good. Maybe His Word is true. Maybe His hand is upon my life. Maybe He does go before me and make a way. Maybe He does surround me. Maybe God is true. Maybe He is my protector. Maybe He was with me all those times I didn't feel like it. This is David. David's like, hey, hey. We made it. Problem was, he's by himself. He's got no one to share the victory with. He made it. Look at these words. They looked at him and were afraid. Well, we're radiant, I'm sorry. And their faces were not ashamed. Look at this, verse six. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him. Again, you can hear that, that similar tone, can't you? David's like looking at himself. Just after he's acted like a mentally insane person to try and escape a situation. And he looks at himself and he's like, this poor joker, I just got through it. He's still in this, in this place of, man, astounded at the goodness of God. Astounded that he's still standing. Astounded that he made it through. Listen, I want to stir you and challenge you, church. Sometimes you just got to look at where you are and say, you know what? I might not be where I want to be, but man, I made it here and I'm going to praise God for that. Maybe sometimes you need to look at what's going on and say, you know what? I'm not where I'm believing that I could be and I'm not in the fullness of it yet. But you know what? I'm not dead. My heart's still beating. We're not completely broke and I'm here at Free Chapel on a Sunday. So maybe I'm doing okay. And excuse me while I take a moment and just thank God that I made it. Look at someone say, I made it. I made it. Sometimes, sometimes, listen, sometimes when, you, when you're going through it, sometimes you just go look at yourself and say, you know what? You're doing okay. You're doing okay. Because sometimes okay is enough for you to just keep walking. Sometimes I think we miss, we, we don't keep walking because we're waiting for it all to just be big and grand and powerful and breakthrough and breakthrough and breakthrough. And we preach it and we praise it and we sing it. But you know what? Sometimes the breakthrough can seem so far away and we get overwhelmed when we keep talking about it. Sometimes we need to just say, you know what? Flipping heck, I just made it out of that one, didn't I? And I'm not here in the fullness yet, but you know what? I'm not back with those jokers anymore. At least I'm not where I was. I'm doing okay. Tell someone you're doing okay. And this is David. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and he saved me. David's saying, geez, we got through that. I don't know how we did it, but somehow we got through that. And then look at this, the next verse. The angel of the Lord, David speaking still, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those 
who fear Him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Listen, I want to show you, and the reason why I got them to separate the end of verse 6 from the start of verse 7 is I want to point out to you the change in David's tone. Because look at it. Verse 4 to 6 is, man, I don't know how we got through that, but we got through it. But then when he starts verse 7, he's got a little bit more pep in his step. And he starts to declare some things over his life. And he says, you know what? I came through it. Yeah, that's right. I came through it. Maybe I am powerful. And look at this. The angel of the Lord encamps around me who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Bless. He's starting to speak to himself. And he says, blessed is the man who trusts in him. What was I thinking about when I was worrying about that before? You know what? I not only came out of it, but now I'm feeling like I'm in a little bit of faith. Read, keep reading. Verse 9, I separated it again because we see another shift. He starts off by saying, man, we barely made that thing. Can you believe it? Then he's like, man, now I feel good. Look at that. Look at this dude. Okay, okay, I'm going to be okay. Okay, yeah, taste and see. God is good. Now look at this. Dude changes now and he says, oh, fear the Lord. Look at this. You, his saints. Now he's no longer talking to him. Now he's starting to preach. He's now talking to others and he's saying, you know what? I've got something to say. No one's here in the cave of Adullam to listen to me, but I'm going to preach to the empty seats like there's someone in them. And he says, oh, fear the Lord, you, his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lap and su- lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. David came out of it thinking, I don't know how I made it. He stepped into it thinking, listen, God is good to me. And he came out starting to declare the goodness of God. To others around here, I want to show you, and this is what I wanted to preach in the next five minutes. Keys can come. That was my introduction. But the next five minutes, this is what I wanted to preach to you. I wanted to preach this message because I believe this was actually what David was saying when he wrote down this verse. In 34 verse 8, one of the most well-known scriptures in the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, that even if you haven't been in church for that long, most of you can probably finish it. And David wrote, Oh, taste and see that God is good. So what I wanted to preach is a real simple message, and I called it just this. I call it, say it with me, say now. I get it. Say now, I get it. Because David, in the cave of Adullam, after coming through one of his most lowest moments, sits down and out of his most broken one-off, probably one of two of David's lowest moments, David takes out a pen And I'm putting it in today's language. And he writes, Psalm 34, verse 8. Now I get it. That's what it means. That's what taste and see that God is good. That's really what David was doing in that moment. Is he comes out of that situation 
and he says, I get it now. I get what people have been talking about, about the goodness of God. But isn't it interesting that David's revelation of the goodness of God that inspired him to write one of the most well-known verses in Scripture that we are still receiving ministry from even 3,000 years later. Isn't it interesting that that verse was written not out of David's greatest victory? That would make sense, wouldn't it? We would say, I would have expected David to talk about the goodness of God when he still had four rocks in his hand after one just smoked the giant. Then you sit down and be like, man, my God's good. I saw that bad boy drop on his back, took his head off. God is good. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Because sometimes, church, your greatest revelations will come out of your darkest moments. Sometimes your greatest moments of brokenness will bring about your greatest breakthroughs because there's something that you learn about the Kingdom of God in dark moments when you're in the valley that you cannot learn on the mountaintop. And it'll be in those moments that you'll come out and be able to testify to the goodness and the glory of your God and be able to say, I didn't get it before, but now I get it because I went through it and no one else was able to get me through it. But God. Now I get it. Now I now I get it. I'm gonna finish with this, this story a few years ago. I was in I was in Melbourne and, and friends of ours came, Pastors John and Avon de Grey. Been dear friends of our family for many years and they'd just been married and John and Avon de Grey came to Melbourne and and uh, he was coming to preach for an event that, that was we were hosting and, and he came out and, and we were hanging out and we went to go get some food. And, and I said, John, I said, what do you want to eat? What do you feel like to eat? And he said, let's get some Italian. Can we do Italian? Any Italians in the house this morning? Two, awesome. Come on. Where I'm from, Melbourne, Australia, there's a lot of Italians. And, and he said, let's get some Italian. And, and I, Melbourne was my city. I've been lived there all my life. I knew all the restaurants. And so I'm pumped. I'm like, let's go get some Italian. And I said, John, I need to know, what sort of Italian do you want? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, listen, there's two different sorts of Italian restaurants we can go to. We can go to fine dining Italian, or we can go to authentic Italian. And the two are very different. We can go fine dining Italian, and it's going to look nice. And there's going to be a beautiful view. And there'll be nice cutlery and silverware on the table. And little clinky glasses. And waiters and waitresses that are going to wait on you hand and foot. And run around and bring you a dish that's on a plate that's 10 times bigger than the plate needs to be. And right in the very middle of that plate, there's going to be a tiny little piece of food. that's going to be Italian food. And it's going to taste really, really good. I said, or oh, we can go to an alleyway in downtown Melbourne and I can take you to the scariest looking building that you have ever seen in your life where you will go in and meet some of the meanest human beings you will ever meet on the planet. Let me tell you about a little place in Melbourne called Pellegrini's. 
Pellegrini's, my dad's been taking me there since as, as long as I could, as old as I could walk. And we used to go there as a family. And the thing about Pellegrini's, when you walk into Pellegrini's, no one is gonna come rushing to greet you. No one. You know people that are there for the first time because they're the ones standing at the door for longer than they need to be expecting someone's gonna come and seat them. We used to go into Pellegrini's as a family and my dad would take us in the back. We used to go in the side door because my dad knew the owner and and our group was always one of four children. And so we had all of us kids and we were always too big to get one of the the seats out in this proper seating area. So we used to sit around this table out in the kitchen where they were cooking the food. Let me tell you, there's not a team of well-trained chefs out in the back of the kitchen at Pellegrini's. There's one nonna who's about 410. And if you want the food to hurry up, you can shut up and get out. When you walk into Pellegrini's, there's no menu. I took Caressa there when we were in Melbourne and, and, and she says, where's the menu? I said, there's no menu. She said, how do you know what you want? I said, well, you sort of tell the guy behind the counter what you sort of want. And he'll decide whether you're going to get that or not. But more often than not, the best thing to do is just to ask him what they feel like cooking and they'll cook it for you and put it in front of you. Don't worry about the price or looking at how much things cost because again, he will decide what it costs based on how much he likes you. It's Pellegrini's. It's just how it works. We rolled up to that place and I'm there, John Gray, having to Gray. They'd just been married not long and we stand out in front of the place and he looks at me and says, bro, are you for real? I said, John, you said you wanted authentic. This is what we need to do. Because sometimes the greatest things will come out of the darkest places. And if we just live our life thinking that we're just going to go and God's kingdom for us and purpose for us is to just go from one nice place to the next place, we'll never get a revelation of what really is the deep revelations of the things of God. And so we walked in there and and John said, I was hoping that John wasn't going to ask me for a menu because I was going to have to tell him, explain to him that they don't have menus. Anyway, I said, John, let, let me, can I do you a favour? Let me just take care of the ordering. And I called the guy over. I said, listen, just let's do food, whatever. So he comes out with all of this food. And John and Avon de Grey sat at the counter of a beat up, divey, tiny little place in downtown Melbourne. But they got the real deal. And we walked out of that place. John Gray said nothing for 30 minutes while he was eating. I'd never seen a human being in all my born days, consume that much food. And we walked out and we stood on the, free, on, the, on the street and John Gray looks at me with sauce still on his face. And he said, my sermon title, now I get it. I get why you brought me here. It didn't make sense before. Before I didn't even want it. But now that I've got it, I don't know how I went without it. 
Because sometimes it's our darkest moments that make no sense. Where we're thinking, God, where I, what, what am I doing here? How's this going to work out? Taste and see. You know what I wanted to say to John all that time, but he was a guest of ours, so I don't say this to guests. And he's about 10 times bigger than me. I wanted to look at John and say, just shut up and eat. I feel like God sometimes wants to say that to us. When we're complaining about what's going on in our life and we're complaining about why things look the way they look, sometimes I feel like God just wants to look at us and just say, just shut up and eat. Just shut up and seek my face. And don't let your situation around you dictate what's going on inside of you. Just get on your knees before God and just seek my face. Shut up and eat and you'll come out of this declaring the goodness of God like you've never declared in your life because there's something authentic about an encounter with God that comes out of a dark place. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are blessed.